Schumacher originally thought her calling was art. But she slowly swam into words, creating stories for young to middle readers. Each book I write is so different from every other book that there's always a moment as I'm writing it that I go, now you're gonna have to learn to write. <laughs> you don't know how to do this, they're all so different. Starting with Dumbstruck and Pierre in Love, Sparrow Girl and Stewart's voice found her. She also contributed to the venerable Flat Stanley series. From adventures with third grader Clementine, spinning off a series with Waylon, and Meet the Dullards, to the New York Times number one bestseller, Pax. The fox felt the car slow before the boy did, as he felt everything first, through the pads of his paws, along his spine, in the sensitive whiskers at his wrists. The boy's anxiety surprised the fox. Today, the boy lifted his pet and buried his face in the fox's white ruff. It was then that the fox realized his boy was crying. As a writer, I have a couple of jobs as a writer besides telling the story. And one of them is to say through my books to children two things. One, you are welcome in the world of humans, just as you are. We love you. And then I also want to say there's always hope and change. I told myself after PAX I was going to stop. I was not going to go through another novel for at least a few years. I tried turning my heart into a rock. But all it takes is a crack to let in a sliver of love. Here to talk to her about the sequel to PAX is YA author and Spokane's favorite loudmouth, Chris Crutcher. Please welcome them both to the Northwest Passage's virtual stage. Here we go, guys. All right. Well, I'm Chris Crutcher, and I'm at, I get the great honor to uh, interview Sarah Pennypackick. I have to, I have to, uh, we've known each other for a long time in the world of, in the world of children's and YA books, you run yeah. into uh, uh, librarian conferences and teacher conferences and school visits and all kinds of things. So we've been able to, we, we, when we first met, um, my hair was a lot browner. <laughs> you, you're, doing, you're doing well. When, this book, this book, I'll, I'll tell you one of the reasons that, and I'll say this real quick and then just kind of get to some questions. This book, um, this book really, really touched me because so much of what you write in PAX and then in, in PAX Journey Home is covers covers elements of, of my work of stories that I've written and I my 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 books have always been uh, pretty much considered realistic fiction but as mm -hmm. I read these uh, this this these two books um, they're as they're as realistic <laughs> as anything I've ever written um, right. so, what, so I what I, number one the first thing I want to ask is what and you said a little bit about it. What led you to write that sequel? Oh, well, I, I guess it, it was that so many kids uh, around the world ordered me to do it. 
I wasn't I wasn't going to do it because I felt confident that the ending to the original Pax was exactly right. It because it left room for people wanted to go in two directions. Here's what happened after I closed that book. People wanted one of two things to happen. They wanted Pax to say, Nope, I'm not leaving you, or they wanted Pax to go off and be the best fox he could be and start a life in the wild. And I couldn't tell any reader that they were wrong. I didn't want to do that. So I felt this is exactly the right ending. However, I always thought about it too, just like a reader. I thought, what happened? What did happen? So one day my I was talking to my um, agent and I said to him, we were talking about how many kids want to know. And I said, of course, I do know what happens. And he said, oh, really? What? So I told him, and it was in quite detail. And we both realized I had a book because I, I had a plot and I had characters. But more than that, once I really started thinking about it, I still, I had some aboutness, which is what I use, the word I use instead of theme. I had some themes, I guess you would say, that I wanted to cover. But there were some things that I still had to say. So I did write the sequel, as you know. And I'm so glad because I think this book heals and I think it rounds out the story. It, it feels like it balances things that happened in the story. And I also feel that the ending is way more settled. You know, and what I, what I loved about that ending the first thing I always ask myself or, or want to ask a writer is how much did you know when you started? Because when I start, I never know. But yeah. it, you, you ha having written packs, you must have, I mean, you had, you must have played around with this. And particularly, yeah. you know, I've always, I've always said that a book belongs every bit as much to a reader as it does the writer. The, the history that the reader brings to the story is probably more important than the history that we bring. And, yes. And so there's always a surprise in when in responses, email responses and things like that. There's always, oh, I didn't yeah. think of that. Right. You know, I, wow. It landed on someone in a way that I might not have ever thought to intend. Mm -hmm. And yes, that seems to be I'm guessing you got some pretty surprising responses uh, to I, that first book. I can't. I, I'll tell you this. I got one today that blew me away. Uh, someone a friend of someone told me that uh i don't want to tell who it is but uh that her daughter had just gone off to college and had made friends with a new freshman in college and the freshman's name was pax and he had legally changed his name because he loved the book so much like oh my god oh my god it's very beautiful. I do get a lot of responses about this book. Yes. And think of the, I mean, that much identification. And one of the things you know about, about mm. emails that you get is that for everyone you get, there are a whole bunch of people out there who thought very much the same thing. I mean, it's, you know, not everyone yes. writes. Yeah, so, yeah. So. And I really like what you said uh, that, and I agree with you that the reader is a really important part of the story, also of the writing of the story. I'm always really careful to leave so much space 
that the reader has to fill in. In other words, if something very moving happens, I'm really careful not to write it, but to write around it and make sure that I'm, I'm saying to the reader, you have to do some work here and it will be worth it because you are now writing this story too. You figure out what happened if I say this happened here, this happened here. You have to do that work and then you own the story. So I'm with you and, there. I agree with and that. I have to say that in this book, that is, that's masterful. I mean, Thank you. one of the things I, I was looking on, I was looking on, um, on Amazon for, you know, for a lot of the responses on, on Amazon to particularly the first, first book, cause it has, you know, more right now. And, um, over and over and over, I was seeing, this isn't just a book for kids. This is not, this is not just a book for, um, you know, the, the so-called target age range no. that, that people are walking away. Adults are walking away with this, from this with tears in their eyes or nodding their heads or, you know, saying yes. And I mean, the thing I love about reading is, is that uh, so much more than I do television or, or movies and things like that. And I love television and movies yeah. is the work yeah. that the reader has to do. You don't, yes. you, get, you get to make, you get to decide what these characters look like, what that voice sounds right. like, all of that. Yes. In this book, I thought it was masterful because I was do I was working real hard because I'd having to read pretty fast because I just got the I just got the, oh. the, the book a few days ago. Did you? And I'm, yeah. And I'm like reading like crazy to catch up and guessing yeah. and missing as much as I was hitting. Mm. Well, okay, missing more than I was hitting to see where you were going to take it, boy. And it and it just, I I I was so impressed with the way it. The, the pace that it came at. And I think, uh, and, I, and this is kind of my next question, that that going back and forth between the boy's life and Pax's life, or Peter's life and Pax's life, mm. there, there's something in the pacing. There's, there's something that, uh, so much of the time when I read a book, when I read a book that's done like that, I'm a little bit disappointed when I go from one to the other. Right. Me too. And that didn't happen this time. It was like, you can see these two things and they are going to come together. You know, they're going to come together. And yeah. I'm wondering if how much editing you had to do to make sure that that pacing came out the way it did. Well, if you had seen my studio, I, I always keep a blank wall in whatever studio I'm working in. I, I have two, or but I, I may also work, you know, when I'm traveling. And I want a blank wall. And for packs, I had two strings. I usually have one string that goes, you know, 12, 15 feet. And along it, I put little cards, index cards, so that I can pace, okay, action, disappointment, you know, how, how do, are we spacing those things? But with packs, I had to do it with two so that um, the, the pacing had to, it had to harmonize. Um, and it was kind of tricky. I, it was very tricky. You know, sometimes Pax had to stop in his journey and Peter couldn't. So you know, just a little bit of, you know, the novelist is kind of a, a you know, a mastermind there. And, and sometimes it works and sometimes it's hard. I know. I mean, there are times, at least for me, when I, I, you rewrite and rewrite and rewrite just to get the, the, 
the pacing and the lyrical quality of you know and the, and the you know to to work um mm. there are a couple of questions that came in and and they they really funnel into questions that i would i really wanted to bring up because you and i've had some talks about about just the idea of grief and and loss and yes. you know how it affects people yeah. One one question that I one question this this comes from Ellen who says do you think current society underestimates children the topics you um, cover with packs are pretty high level yes I I do and and I think that oh this is such a complicated issue on the one hand you know kids are hit with a lot there's nothing we can do anymore i think since 911 is when i really noticed there's no way you could sh shield children from stuff that's going on in the world that they are too young to process but they're still going to get hit with it so what is my job as an author it's to present the world as it is but also to present the world as it should be i got to do those two things and at the same time say, you are welcome in it. And whatever it is you're doing, I am standing with you. You're a human being. And even if you make mistakes, I, I'm there with you. The writer is there saying, uh, you, I get what you're doing. I respect what you're doing. That was especially hard with Peter. Peter has had so much loss. And this is what I was hoping you and I would be able to talk about. I'm glad it's sort of coming up. Because Peter has had so much loss and he has so little support. His family members have, have died and he doesn't even have packs to express kind of love and, and feeling. So he's going to make mistakes. And my job as a writer is different from my job as a human who's been a mother who loves children. Uh, if, if I were just a human and had been a mother, I would take Peter in and I'd say, honey, I got to talk to you. You're making some mistakes. I can help you. But as a writer, I have to say, you're going to make some mistakes and I'm going to respect that. And I'm going to let the world know why you're doing it this way. And I'm, I'm going to just tell your story without telling you you're wrong. So that was really hard for me. Um, I bet you run into it too. When you have characters who have to make mistakes because they're young, they don't have experience, they don't have resources. They're just going to go figure stuff out on their own, and they'll make mistakes. You know. Well, and I and I think I think part of what you, what you did here, I, I I kind of have this this idea, and I've had it for quite a while that that you know we're a trial and error species that won't celebrate yeah. the thing that teaches us. We don't celebrate errors. We call them sins, or we call them stupid mistakes or we yeah we, all, we have to scold before we allow that allow that error yeah. to be a teaching thing right and and allowing allowing for those mistakes and showing you know we never know the good things from the bad things while they're happening <laughs> you know yeah. it seems like the yeah. worst thing that ever happened in our lives may be the thing that propels us to do you know the take yes. us to our greatest heroic act or whatever it is and yes, I so agree. I, I was I'm working on a nonfiction book about about some of the people with permission who have who have who have uh, who have uh, given me characters to write about. And mm. so many of them are like we're three and four years old when I met them. And and they and they suffer exactly the same things you're describing here. And you can't stop them from having to go through that. 
What I love about this is about this, the, both these books is the respect they show for, mm. you know, being thrown into the really deep water and having yeah. to swim because it's just not an alternative to drown. Yeah, and, yeah. And that's, that I think, that I, that's, there's an allowance there, and I think you've done it so well. There's an allowance there to make those mistakes and find your way out and to let you find your, help you, but let you find your way out. Right, right. There, and there, isn't it, doesn't it seem that the place that we're wounded is the place, of course, we're going to cover up? And in fact, it's the place that you need to uncover because as, I mean, as Leonard Cohen put it in Anthem, um, which I, I tried to refer to subtly in the book, is there's a crack in everything. Everybody gets wounded. Everybody's broken. Everything gets broken. But that's where the light gets in. So let, let that be. That's one of my all-time favorite lines, all-time yeah. favorite lines of, of any song because it's, yeah. it is so yeah. much of, uh, you know, of what existence is, um, there's a, I, 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 I was, one of the things that I was writing about was a kid that's so much, that's very, he's so much like Peter because he's, he's a kid who, when he was four years old, saw his older sister be stolen. Oh my God. It turned out that she was killed and put in a shallow grave. And oh. he's, 38 now, I think. And he and I still have a, a, a connection. And when you listen to how he came from that place mm -hmm. and going through a trial, I mean, all of the craziness that goes with that and the loss and, and the having to decide as his brain develops how to handle it. I mean, as you go through your developmental stages, you get that. And that's, I mean, when I saw Peter just I was like, I'm not going to let anybody in. I'm going to, I'm going to nope. do it on my own. I'm going to do it on my own. And we can sit here as adults and say, that's, you know, you can't do that. You don't want to do that. That's going to make you sick. But right. he has to get from that place to the place yeah. that, that yeah. mothering place that you are. Yeah. And what makes it more difficult, I think, for a lot of males is that, that we still have this sense that this message that you know just tough your way through it and so I wanted to give Peter that kind of a background his dad and his grandfather both have told him just stay away from people tough your way through it and that makes everything so much harder so uh, I'm sure you noticed that I you know Peter's also thinking he's making a mistake to say that that this is how you become a man as you stop caring about this stuff which is a big mistake and I love that he that he basically has to say i can still love those people and they can be wrong yeah I still love my dad yeah but he yeah. can be wrong yeah i mean that is that's gold and again yeah. i thought that was one of those things that um that was one of those unexpected things it's like yeah. one of the things that happened when I'm reading a lot of those things and going, how's she going to pull this off? How's she going to yeah. do this? And yeah. I'm the the other thing is I'm not a more often than not I'm not a big fan of sequels because usually when you have an idea yeah. you pour all your good stuff into the first one. Yeah. This thing just held up. Yeah. No, I I think I think this was needed. It's healing, and you know, 
for me to go through the tough stuff and the hard stuff, don't forget, every other chapter for me was a joy. These are foxes who are, boom, they are in the world. They are life, they're just eating life up. They're so, it's, they're just so engaged in it without any introspection and neuroses. And, you know, the things that happened are not going to stop them from living and being part of the, the wild world. So it was really healing for me and I hope for the reader to be able to go back and forth from someone who's rejecting the world and to, to a character who's embracing it and teaching his children to embrace it too. Yes. So that and was a joy. The relativity of that, the relativity of an animal that just knows what to do because that they're an animal. They don't have to talk yeah. about it. And, yeah, and human yeah. beings, you know, you know, kind of just blindly trying to find our way through. And yeah. the, the the juxtaposition of those things and kind of the <laughs> certain amount of humanization of those animals, but they're doing what animals do. I mean, you must have done some pretty good research on all of this. I did. I did a lot of research. And in fact, just about nothing that happens in the books would not happen in the wild. I may have made, I think one time in the first book, uh, my red fox expert told me actually a, a male fox would not move into a, a territory that another male fox was already in. But they were very, very mild things. Foxes are quite, they're obviously really intelligent, but they have very deep connections, family friend, uh, family connections, friend connections, and what I found most like my readership and, and that I most wanted to celebrate is they form bonds outside of their own species. So yeah, they were terrific. And, and I played a little bit with that, like after a scene where Peter's grandfather says, you better, you know, toughen up and you better not get in with anybody else. Then we get to see Pax and his family saying the opposite, really. It's like, yeah, you go out there, you get in that world. So and taking taking risks, the risks that they know are, are worth taking. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and 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 you know, I mean, mm -hmm. I, the thing that kept getting me, and and partly just from my history as a therapist and all of that, was somebody trying to make that, trying to make that thing that dad said or that thing that granddad said to make that true, even though nothing about it feels true. I mean, you know, yeah, you're, you're, it didn't. You, it's like, I think I, it's like, I'm, I'm disappointing those people if I go ahead and let myself feel, or if I let myself connect. Yeah. And yeah. it, there's that sense of, if I do that, it, it's a betrayal and yeah. you know, the animals don't. Now, I mean, that, that I yeah. think the beauty of that, it's just, yeah. You know, and this is one of the things that and I get asked this question a lot, too. When you're writing this, what kind of an emotional impact does it have on you? Um, it's probably the same as the reader has, but I go over it so many times. I mean, I cry when I'm writing. I laugh when I'm writing and I fully expect to do that. That that's, feels right. Not I, I never worry about that. I I sit and sob at the keyboard sometimes, but then because I have to craft it afterward 
over and over and over and over because I'm counting beats and, you know, I got a whole bunch of things going on. As you know, once we're in that last draft, I, I got a lot going on. Um, so then I get a little bit hardened to it. I don't, I don't cry all the time. However, I'll tell you what, that book comes to me, comes, you know, I get it in the mail a few days early. Um, I sit down and read it. Well, nobody's crying as hard as I am. <laughs> and that's when you know you made the connection. Yeah, yeah with like, myself. I'm like that with, oh, when I'm working on it, I don't have that so much because you're doing the craft. And then I'll yeah. read it, like out loud yeah. or something. And, you know, and I'm standing in front of a crowd and, I'm, you know, I, my voice goes crazy. And I'm thinking, yeah. wait a minute now. <laughs> yeah. This is not professional. I'm like Peter, right? <laughs> <laughs> Guys aren't supposed to cry, but there's, there's <laughs> I think it's cool there. that we do it. I think that's cool. Oh, I do too. I do too. Yeah. And I, I also think that, you know, you, you said, a, you said a thing that I think is really important because my, my kind of stock answer that I think is, is kind of true. People will say, what do you want people to get out of your book? And right. for a long time, I think, well, you know, I had things to say and I said them. But then the the further I got into it, I thought, yeah, I'm not smart enough to know that. I, what yeah. I want people to get, I want I want to tell a good story. I want to tell a believable story, but but I want you to walk away with what you walk away with, even if it's not what I intended. Yes, right. That's a uh, good that's a good way to be. Yeah, I'll tell you what I do about also, that. You just you said I'm I'm opening up. Uh, I'm opening up conversation. Yes. Did, how much of this was written during the pandemic? The None of it. Uh, None wait, of it. that's not true. I did final revisions during the first six months of the pandemic. I thought this. I thought this elevated even more because of all of the isolation that came yeah. through. I've been doing zooms yeah. through the pandemic. And yeah. the, the discussions that go on with individual kids, like, I mean, they're in their rooms instead of in school, and they're a little more likely to go ahead and, you know, say the real thing. Cause they're ah, in the yeah. State. So some really interesting conversations and some really yeah. interesting conversations between me and teachers. And I, I, as I'm reading this thing, I'm thinking, boy, you, you, hit, you hit some of the absolute monstrous themes of this mm. pandemic, the depression, the mm. the sense of the hopelessness that some that some kids and teachers were feeling. I right. wonder if you're getting re responses. Um, I don't. I don't have. I don't actually have a lot of responses yet because the book just came out Tuesday. So that's interesting. I'll watch for that. No, I wasn't thinking about it at all. Um, what I was thinking was that I'm glad that I put. I inserted water as the reason for the war, because it just become water is becoming more and more a hot button issue. And I think we're close to having wars over, over water and everywhere is going to have to uh, do some um, figuring out what to do with their water resources. And of course the Flint, Michigan kids were in my mind as I wrote this. Yeah, I mean, and, and boy, that's it, too, because if you're in Flint, Michigan during that time, when you're thirsty, you drink. 
Yeah, and and they're little. The the you know I made that point pretty clearly. Pe- developing humans as well as developing animals and probably developing plants are really at risk, and we all need clean water. So that I was yeah. thinking, I think more about that in terms of current events. Well, and and when when the the little girl kid is going down there to drink the poison water and she's already you know so compromised i mean if that yeah. isn't if that isn't exactly what those because she's thirsty and, and and any of those yeah. kids any of those kids in flint or a, a whole bunch of other cities that have that same kind of problem yes are, yes it's like they're defenseless it's, yes it's, it's yes. what there is to drink yeah, and it's a global issue, and people are taking water and monetizing water, and um, and those who have the the fewest resources are the ones who are will be taken advantage of. They they will take the water supply from indigenous peoples, and well, we could go on and on about that, but that felt topical enough for me that um, even had I thought of it, I would not have. I would not have indicated the pandemic right i thought there's enough going on i have enough going on in this in this book and i think it's more i think it's i think it's more um i think it fits better that you don't include the pandemic i mean this is Mm -hmm. what all the pandemic does is just is elevate the things that things that have been happening and happening and happening in you know yeah. in the world yeah. this whole thing about people without resources yeah. are the ones who are you know the most vulnerable and that s- seem to be the least cared about when we start we start doing policy yeah, um, yeah. one one of the questions that <laughs> Christy just stuck in here because because she said she wanted to know the story behind the story of ah. why why you your acknowledgement of of my name in, in the first packs. Yeah. And uh, I'll let you tell it. But okay. It's like I said, it, you, 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 uh, you put that in front of way more people than I could have put it in front of. Well, I, 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 you know, trimmed it way, way down and I just referred to it quickly. But when I first met Chris, I heard him on a panel and he ta- he told a story that just knocked me out and it was about a little girl who had had a tremendous loss after in fact a build up that she wasn't going to have this loss and she lost her mother uh when she was probably i think you were telling me she was maybe 4 but she was she was too young to be verbal about it and so the response of Chris's team was to, and she lost her mother in a car crash. So the response was to allow her to take toy cars and crash them because you guys understood, Chris, that she needed to tell her story and she didn't have narrative skills. She didn't have a powerful voice. She didn't have anyone who was gonna listen to those words anyway. So you figured a way for her to tell her story and that just knocked me out. So I put that in the first packs, telling that this is how a therapist related to Peter after his mother had died in a car crash. And I, I was very grateful to be able to use something real and something that I know felt right to me. So thank yeah, you again. I read it, it, it really did feel real and it felt real apart from my telling this story. I mean, that, that probably, mm-hmm. 
just in my experience, is one of the most real depictions of a kid just trying to wrap her four-year-old consciousness and imagination around this god-awful loss. And right. you right. It came out in, in your story. I mean, it was... Well, Chris, I think we, we must have talked about this, but it, I think it deserves saying, um, which is why I was so interested in, in this exact thing was once when I was working on the Clementine series, it was, I heard a quote from Carl Jung. He was asked, why is there evil in the world? And his answer was, there's evil in the world when people can't tell their stories. And that changed me as a writer. So I was very, very interested in why can't people tell their stories? And I realized, well, we writers have everything you need and our readers have very little of what you need to tell a story, which is narrative voice, you know, narrative power, uh, loud voice, uh, an audience, a platform, that kind of thing. So I, I've been very interested in that concept for 10, 15 years now. Yeah, and it's, and it's you know, the other, I, I think the other piece of that is they not only, they, they, they may not have the skills and the, certainly the verbal uh, capacities and things like that to tell their stories, but they're also told not to tell them. Oh, they're that's told, a good point. You know, it's like if I tell my story, I'm weak, or if I tell my story, I'm exposing myself, or I'm putting myself in a in a place in a place that I that's too vulnerable. When in fact, right? There's such a release to that time when you can finally find that person or that place yeah. where you feel strong enough to stand up for yourself. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I, I didn't really think about that. I guess kids are still told not to tell their stories also because kids are supposed to be carefree and happy and uh, and also seen but not heard still. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, I, 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 I remember I was in a, I was in a, doing a presentation one time and and it was it was about banned books and the fact that people didn't want kids reading stuff that I was writing about and, mm. and there was a teacher and she said you know I I totally agree with you about not banning books and all that but she said I see my I see my granddaughter and I I just I love that innocence I want her to be able to hold that innocence and I don't even know where it came from but I said you know if you could tell me the time when ignorance that that line when ignorance or when when innocence turns to ignorance, right? We might have something to talk about. But what happens right. is, when they can't tell their story, they're back there, believing things and believing they're not supposed to tell their story and believing that they're not supposed to embrace their 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 right. you know their uh, their mistakes. And we right. put people. I mean, we I I think as a culture, we 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 really impede development by not letting kids tell their stories. Yeah. I mean, I, you, you, you talk to adults who, you know, finally tell this, finally tell their story when they're 40 years old. And all of a sudden there's yes. this like, God, if I had only known I could do that. Yeah. And so they've yeah. lived those 40 years with this, with being like Peter, just saying, I got to toughen up. I got to toughen up. I got to toughen up. Yeah. Yeah. This is this. What I really think about about these stories is both these books is that they're 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 hugely empowering. 
I, yeah. I, I mean, I think they're hugely empowering for, you read that story and you can see Peter's making himself sick by not being yeah. able to embrace right. himself. Right. And you know, there's a huge difference between American kids reading it and kids say in Afghanistan or just, well, too many places in the world, huge difference. On the one hand, I want American kids to just sit with this for a while. Think about what this would feel like if you're, um, if you're the part of the earth that you inhabit gets is destroyed, or or if the people around you have to leave, or um, animals around you are abandoned. You have to do that because none of us in this country have had that experience. We've had experiences with our kids have had experience with elders that they love going off to do these things, but it hasn't come home. So, but then I'm so happy that the book is out in, I think it's 27 languages, 27, well, that's more than that, more countries than that, of course. And some of them are at war and some of them, this is kind of cool, are at war with each other. So my kids reading these books are having some feelings that are, are really connected with kids in a country that they're supposedly at war with. Um, so the adults are, are kind of like this, and the kids are like, yeah, we're together. You know, It's a pretty great thing about children's books, how they bring yeah, kids together. I think, yeah, I, and there's a value, I think. Um, I think there's a value to children's books that, I mean, it gives kids kids who are real readers and who read these kind of stories get a real head start on, yeah. on you know, taking on the things that, that are going to, you know, that are happening to them. Yeah. And, and I, I believe it's the, the finest, the, the clearest way for to get empathy because of all the art forms, it's the one that asks you to inhabit someone else instead of watch someone else or, uh, hear music and see photos and, and think about it. A book just asks you to get in that head um, and feel what it would feel like and make those, um, those brain neurons work together so you have the experience. You know, the brain studies show that the same thing happens if you read about skiing and, and you really read a good description of how you feel. The same things happen in your brain that you're feeling, you know, the snow and then the way you're curled. And um, so it's the, I think it's just the clearest route to empathy. I do too. And I think it's, I mean, what you, what you've done here and, and all good children's literature, good, good literature of any kind really uh, requires the use of the imagination. You know, Albert Einstein mm -hmm. used to say, if, if you could have the highest IQ anywhere, and if you don't have an imagination, all you've got is a really good memory. And, yeah, and yeah. the idea of—I mean, your imagination is what allows you empathy, and yeah, and that, I think that's what's that's what's going on here. Um, looks like we're about to have to wrap things up. Last question. Okay. What's next. Ah, well, <laughs> well, during the pandemic, you will be shocked to learn that I have been quite outraged shocked my friend that I have not been happy about this. Um, I have been really outraged at some mismanagement of adults who are supposed to be running this country and who cared more about fame and money than taking care of the people in this country. 
I will just say that I would get so outraged. I would I could go to sw I swim every day. And I'm down in Florida, and I'd done my work day of you know working on the finishing the the this, um, and I get in the pool and I just start swimming and I was so mad. But I heard a voice, and it was an outraged little girl's voice, and I followed it. So I wrote a book during the pandemic for uh, during the the last year of it, which I am now in final revisions working with my editor on. And uh, believe it or not, though, it's a very funny book. I'm back to humor. I'm glad to take a break. I really like going back and forth between some serious themes and just some outrageousness and some laughs. So that's what I've been working on. All I can tell you, because we don't know the title, is the title will have the word, the name Leva in it. L-E-E-V-A is the girl's name. And there's a really specific reason that that's her name, which I won't tell you. But anyway, I have a new novel. It will come out, I believe, in a year and a half. So you got to wait a while. Uh, yeah, I know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will <laughs> yeah. absolutely be looking forward to it. And I'm sure you so will a whole lot of other people. <laughs> Uh, Good. I hope so. I think I, I think it's I love the book. I can't wait. I can't wait. And you know what else? I can't wait to see you in person, Chris. I would really like no, to we, sit down with you. That, uh, that'll be great. I mean, what, it's been a really yeah. interesting uh, there. There have been parts of it that I've that I've almost liked because I wasn't headed for the yeah. airport, you know. Yes. Yes. And that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, you really do miss that one-on-one, -on -one, you know, those times when we just get to sit down and yeah, solve the world's problems with our imaginations. <laughs> well, I, I especially, I miss interacting with people who have things to do with books, people who write books and illustrate books and make books and sell books and shelf books and give books to kids and with people who read books. Those yeah. are, that's what I've missed most of all during the pandemic is connections with other people about books. I miss that terribly. And so I'm looking forward to getting on a plane again. Those people. Meanwhile, happen. let me say to all the readers I, I, I out here, thank you for reading. Yes. Boy, I would like to get you on a plane and get you out here to Spokane so that we can make that, that happen. And we're the I whole, will. I'm going to hold you to that. We have it on tape now. <laughs> Okay. Thank you so I, much for being part of it. I will show for her from the airport. Yes. Also on thank tape. You. Thank you. Thank you. That I want that. That would be great. That that's a date. Okay. Fantastic. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you, you so for much. doing this. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's great to see you. Nice to and, see you again, all right. Chris. All right, Chris. Thank you. We're bringing you up. Yep. Until we get them back in person, which will be one heck of a party uh, in Spokane. I'm looking at that happening in 2022 for sure. Uh, but okay. we end every uh, Northwest Passages uh, live event with an auction, our Spokane Famous Raffle, for our fabulous, beautiful Spokesman Review Tower print. I don't like to send it out. So if when we bring up the Wheel of Names, you win that, uh, I might have you uh, come pick it up here at the office. And then, of course, a copy that was available in bookstores, especially from Wishing Tree Books here in Spokane, which has uh, signed book plates that go in each one of the PAX Journey Home books. I think they still have a few left. Uh, we'll be off raffling that off. So, 
Jesse, my friend, can you bring up the wheel of names? Here we go. For the print. There it is. Barbara Trainer. Congratulations, Barbara. I'll be giving you an email or a call. And now up, the wheel of names will spin for the copy of Pax Journey Home, written by the fabulous Sarah Pennypacker. It is Barbara Bolton. Thanks very much for registering uh, for our free ticket, the reminder, and of course the Spokane Famous Raffle. Coming up in October, we are going to move to some in-person events as well as being able to stream them. But the first in-person event is going to be October 12th. Uh, the book is called Into Thin Hair with uh, Spokane's own Chris Kapinski, who's be uh, talking to Eli, our outdoors editor, which we're excited about that. Uh, the 19th will be followed up by, a, you know, I get kind of spoiled, I get ARCs and this isn't available yet, but it's Mighty Inside. This is October 19th by Sundy Frazier. It's a lovely book uh, based here in Spokane. And then in November, Finding Refuge. This is another ARC. It's not available yet. But you can pre-order from the independent bookstores that we partner with here in Spokane, either Auntie's or Wishing Tree Books. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of Northwest Passions Virtual Stage. And we look forward to seeing you live in person soon.